the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. This is the word to stand on for life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. Your word is sharper than any two-edged sword. And it cuts deep into my heart. The word to stand on for life is a radio ministry of Calvary Chapel in San Antonio. A live call-in show here to help you answer your questions about the Bible and how to apply the Word to your daily life. For more information on Calvary Chapel, visit our website, calvarysa.com. Get your Bible questions ready and call in now to 210-340-9585. It's The Word to Stand On for Life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. Welcome to the show. It's a brand new week. I'm Pastor Ron Arbaugh from Calvary Chapel in San Antonio, Texas, and this is The Word to Stand On for Life, a program dedicated to taking your phone calls and answering your questions, Bible questions, questions about stuff going on in your life, questions about church. Maybe you heard something yesterday in church that you didn't really understand. All you have to do is phone us, 210-340-9585. That's our primary number. If you are outside the local San Antonio area, you can call toll-free at 877-630-KSLR. That's 630-5757. You can email questions to us by emailing questions at calvarysa.com. Or you can use our free Calvary Chapel mobile app. And as always, if you are driving in your car, the safest way to call is to use the free KSLR mobile app. Just hit the call now banner at the top of the screen. You'll be connected directly to our studio producer. Hope you had a good day at church yesterday. We did here at Calvary Chapel. Um, Tonight, we have our men's, women's, and youth Bible studies all taking place at 7 o'clock. Ladies, you can watch at calvarysa.com. But it's always better to be here and participate in the discussion, the questions and answers after the the primary teaching. So that is tonight at 7 o'clock. And uh, if you have small kids and you don't know what to do with them, we have child care as well. So uh, tonight at 7 o'clock. Well, let's get to some questions that have been sent in while we await your phone calls. Here is a question. Our first one is from Clint from our email inbox. Pastor Ron, can you explain how Jesus taught the Apostle Paul for three years? My apologies if I missed the explanation. Thank you. Clint, um, you didn't, there's no explanation that the Bible doesn't tell us uh, how Jesus taught the Apostle Paul, just that he did. Now, I imagine, and this is just me thinking it through, I imagine, Clint, that when he was sent out into the Arabian wilderness, now this isn't all by himself, I mean, there were still people around, and I'm certain that he was busy sharing his newfound faith, but Jesus would then appear to him. Now, we don't know how many times, how often, or or for how long the sessions were. Um, Clint, I imagine that they were some pretty detailed Bible studies, wouldn't you have liked to have been there and listened? But we don't know uh, any more than that. No details were given. You know, there are so many things in our Bibles that I would die to have the details on. Um, That's the kind of stuff that's going to wait until we get to heaven. But clearly, God doesn't think that we need those kind of details. Just that Jesus taught the Apostle Paul, and that took a period of three years before his preparation was done, and he was literally turned loose. And that's, remember, when Barnabas was sent to him um, to to uh, bring him to Antioch. And, and that's really where Paul's ministry began in earnest. Again, I wish we knew more, but we don't know. Uh, certainly, it wasn't three years nonstop. Um, but but Jesus would appear to him, give him something to think about, something to study. He would pour through the scriptures. 
Oh, I think one of the things we have to remember, Clint, is that Paul was one of the most brilliant men who's ever lived. I mean, that much is absolutely clear, handpicked by God. And um, uh, Paul needed to work this stuff out for himself. You know, it's not like Jesus just appeared to him and said, okay, this is wrong and this is right. But he would be, the reason it would take some time, the same reason it takes time for all of us, is uh, he would have to work through all of the, 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 the differences, the issues that he had, or his lack of understanding or misunderstanding. And that had to occur, um, and Jesus did that by teaching through the Word. Imagine it was a, a an elongated version of what Jesus did with uh, Cleopas, and I think Luke is the other one on the Emmaus Road, uh, when he gave them a, a very long Bible study as they walked from one place to another uh, along the Emmaus Road. I can only imagine Paul's heart opening up and him thinking how wrong I was. Now, to some degree, we all go through that when we get saved. How could I have been so wrong? I remember telling Paula one day, I've been out studying all day, and, and, and just God had was blessing. And I remember going home and looking at Paul and saying, Oh, Paula, I wish I'd have gotten saved 20 years ago. And she wanted to punch me because she'd been praying for me for 13 years. But, but I think we all feel like that. How could I have been so wrong? How could I have not got it? And there's one thing that happens when we get saved. We look back. Now, we can be hardcore unbelievers, but once we meet Jesus Christ and he starts teaching us, this is the Holy Spirit, we look back and we can see clear evidence of the hand of God always being with us. I can see so many times when the Lord rescued me from me, when the, red, the Lord rescued me from dangerous circumstances. I can remember some times when um, I, was, I was steeped enough in sin that I would get right up to a line that I, I just couldn't cross, and God stopped me to make sure. And then you get saved, and with the advantage of, of Holy Spirit hindsight, you look back and you think, Lord, I've never been alone. I was running from you. I wanted nothing to do with you. But you were always there for me. And I think that's what the Apostle Paul, when he was Saul of Tarsus, thought as well. So, Clint, I wish I had more information for you, but all I know is he appeared to him. He appeared to him in person, and it would have been just a wonderful, wonderful thing. Here is our next question. This one is from Anna. Pastor Ron, can you simplify for me? Why did the Apostle Paul confront Peter, I get the sense, and she says, I get the sense that Peter was being a hypocrite. Am I wrong? Can you explain? Also, what does it mean for Peter in the context of Peter? Was he backsliding? And then parenthetically, she writes, I don't like to use that term. I always say we stopped walking with Jesus. Uh, and I like to say we just started sinning. So I don't like backsliding also. I just threw that in. Anyway, can you also present the setting of where uh, was Peter at uh, and what was Peter doing and how did the Apostle Paul hear of his going on? What made him go to where Peter was at? Sorry, it sounds like a good climatic movie. And then she says, laugh out loud. You know, just to tell a funny, embarrassing story myself. I'm so not technically uh, inclined. Um, I always thought LOL was lots of love. And I thought, oh, people are being so nice. But then I learned later it was laugh out loud. Um, Anna, I don't think you're, you're um, missing it at all. I think Peter was being a hypocrite. Now, Peter would travel around, and, and clearly the, 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 the Lord would arrange their schedules so they could be in places together. And when Paul confronted Peter um, to his face, this was before Jerusalem, he confronted Peter to the face, it's because Peter and some of the other Jews would come from Jerusalem sort of on a scouting mission. How are the churches doing and what's going on? And when Peter and other Jews, especially the legalistic Jews, now we know many of the priests got saved and they would travel around and they would be very Jewish and they would look down their nose at anybody who wasn't being Jewish and and keeping the feasts and separating from Gentiles. And, and when Paul saw it with his own eyes, um, he said to Peter, this is... Um, 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 read in the book of Acts. 
um, he said, Peter, why, why are you putting on Gentiles a burden that even we Jews can't keep? You know, you used to eat with us, and now you don't eat with us anymore because the Jews are here. In other words, Peter changed the way he was living, the decisions that he was making, and he was changing it based on who was around him. When the Jews would leave, he'd come back and just be regular old Peter with all the other people. But when they came back, he drew those lines and would separate himself from the Gentiles. And Paul said to him that even Barnabas was led astray. Even Barnabas was led astray. And Barnabas got along with everybody. Barnabas was everybody's favorite. Even Barnabas was led astray, and, and he called Peter out because of it. Now, it wasn't like, uh, you know, we argue with people. It wasn't that at all. But this was righteous, and this was uh, a, a situation that had to be dealt with. We know from the, his letter, Paul's letter to the Galatians, that these kind of things were going constantly. And uh, so that's what Peter was guilty of. He was guilty of when the Jews came, he would separate and sort of hang out with the Jews. And then as soon as they'd leave, then he'd go back and be regular old Peter again. And and Paul just said, no, we got to deal with this now. And when they dealt with it, when, when, when Paul and Peter dealt with it, Paul then went to Jerusalem with the specific intention of making sure that he wasn't um, um, proclaimed, not that he thought he was proclaiming the wrong message, but, but that his message and his understanding of the gospel and grace was the same as the Jews. Now, here's a situation, and I think this is something, Anna, that we need to, to be better at in our church culture. Um, um, different styles are okay. Different personalities, different styles, different emphasis, but you can't change the message. And Paul's letter to the Galatians is harsh. It's corrective because what they were trying to do, the legalists, the Judaizers, they were trying to change the character of our faith. And we are in Galatians on Friday nights. I've done two studies in Galatians and already we've talked about, you know, if, if, if Paul hadn't had the courage to take this issue on, it was a very unpopular issue for him. But if he hadn't had the courage to stand up and take this issue on, then our faith today would have looked very, very different. There wouldn't be grace. There wouldn't be freedom. Uh, in Galatians chapter 5, the first verse, Paul says, it is for freedom we've been set free, not bondage, not legalism. And uh, he, he asked the Galatians, what began in the spirit, are you now going to finish in the flesh? And he said that right after saying, oh, Foolish Galatians, you were doing great. Who's cut in on you or who's tricked you? And that's what um, uh, Peter uh, needed to be confronted for. And, uh, you know, obviously Peter and Paul were very close and had the, the, the utmost respect for one another. And, and Peter is the kind of man that after being corrected by Paul would have been humbled and made instant corrections. He would have recognized his sin. And he would have changed it. We can all learn a lesson from that. So that's what Peter was doing. And, um, you know, he just wanted to get along with the guys from the home church in Jerusalem. And um, Paul had to call him on it. And we can all be grateful that he did. Wonderful question, Anna. Thank you very, very much. 340-9585 for your live calls and questions. Uh, Nacho sends a question through our email inbox. Um, Regarding your sermon yesterday about Philip going to Samaria, you have made mention of this, but could it be that one of the reasons that he went to Samaria was that he was a Grecian Jew as opposed to being a Jew from Judea? That cultural difference uh, may have made it easier or more logical to him to go to Samaria uh, versus a Jew uh, from J Jerusalem, where the prevalent thought was to hate the Samaritans and to have nothing to do with them. Not you. I don't think so. I, I don't think you're on the right track, only because um, in the Jerusalem church, where everybody was, and I mentioned this yesterday, Jesus had told them all to go into the, the world. Don't don't get comfortable in Jerusalem, but but in Jerusalem, but then go to Judea, then go to Samaria, and then into the uttermost parts of the earth. The whole idea then and by the way now, some 2,000 years later, 
The whole idea is for us to get saved and then go out and share this wonderful news. And the church in Jerusalem, the Jews who became Christians there, um, became very comfortable. Um, the church in Jerusalem was thriving. Not, I mean, they were still being persecuted and they still had financial issues, but they were thriving in terms of, of spiritual growth and numerical growth. And there were enough of them now that there was sort of safety in numbers. Uh, and they got comfortable. One of the things I said in the message that I gave yesterday was that comfort is an enemy of Christian fruit. We Christians, we all, we, who doesn't want to be comfortable? I want to be comfortable. I want life to be easy and smooth. Um, but comfort can keep us in a place God doesn't want us to be. So he sent a great persecution. And that persecution was the reason that those Jews from Jerusalem were scattered all over. And God finally said, that's what I wanted them to do all along. Now, why Philip? Uh, I said yesterday, and again, this is my opinion, uh, but Philip, we know enough about his character to know what kind of man he was. And uh, I think Philip was just a servant, and he wanted to go where nobody else was. And I think if you look around Jerusalem, knowing that Jews hated Samaritans, uh, they thought of them as half-breeds, um, I think Philip probably said, well, if nobody's going there, that's where I'll go. So Nacho, I think that's all it is. I think it's as simple as that. You know, when we have Calvary chapels all over the country, all over the world, actually. And if you look at a map uh, of the United States, for example, with all of the Calvary chapels, you see tons and tons and tons of them in California. You see um, tons of them, less than California, but still tons of them on the East Coast in Florida. Um, you, you'll see tons of them in other uh, warm weather locations. And, you know, if you look at the map, what Philip would do is he'd say, well, I'm going to go plant a Calvary Chapel where there's empty space. There's a lot of empty space where Calvary Chapel is not represented. And I just think that was Philip's um, um, M.O. I think that's why he went where he was. Uh, all that we have about Philip in the scriptures, uh, he was a man who truly was a servant of God, full of the spirit, full of wisdom, full of faith. And of course, because he was faithful to God, God also filled him with supernatural power. So that's my view. Uh, and there's nothing to suggest that his Greek culture uh, would have given him a different perspective on Samaritans. Amber says, um, this is interesting. What do you think about actors who are Christians portraying sinful activities on screen? Amber, I don't know if you're an actor or an actress, um, and, and that's the reason you asked. Um, you know, one of the things I've learned is I've learned um, God has people everywhere. God has people everywhere. And um, it's their job. And I, I simply learn not to judge them. Uh, I don't know their hearts. I don't know their motives. Uh, but I know that God places uh, his people uh, right in the middle of dark places. And there's certainly nothing, no place darker than Hollywood. And uh, I think if you're going to be a Christian and you're going to um, um, get parts, uh, then it's a picture of the world. There's going to be sinful activities. I think God knows it's a play or a, a movie. And I don't think he would hold the actor responsible. You know, Amber, I've actually thought about this a little bit. Not that I would ever be an actor, but um, I've actually thought about this. The, 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 the one thing I for sure would draw the line on is um, uh, taking God's name in vain. I would not do that on the screen. If I was an actor and and uh, somebody wanted me to be in their movie, um, that would just be um, um, a, a line for me that I wouldn't cross. Um, if, if I was an actor and there was um, any uh, kissing scenes or lovemaking scenes or something, I wouldn't do that without Paula's approval. Now... It's easy for me to say this because nobody's ever going to ask me to act on screen. But but I think there are some things that Christians ought to think about or take into account before they do it. But beyond that, I, I just don't think that 
uh, we are in a position to judge their heart or what they're doing. You know what's interesting? Um, I used to own racehorses um, a long time ago. And I found at the racetrack, there were a lot of Christians. Um, some of the most famous jockeys um, through my period of time, um, jockeys that you've, you've seen winning the Kentucky Derby, uh, they were born-again Christians. And people would say, but I don't think they should be around because gambling is sin. Um, God has his people everywhere. Amber, and we simply need to give them grace. And remember, who are we to judge another man's servant? And if they're not actively participating in sin, uh, then it's not our responsibility to call them out. I think a lot of us, and Amber, this isn't directed at you because you asked the question. I think that's an interesting question. But I think a lot of us, let me, let me rephrase, I think all of us, what we ought to do is worry a whole lot more about what we're doing than about what other people are doing. And, and it seems that we humans have a hard time with that. Here is an anonymous question. Um, uh, Pastor, is it, or, I'm sorry, is it possible to resist sin without the power of the Holy Spirit? Uh, I think for a minute it is, <laughs> anonymous. Um, you know, we, we've all tried to go on a diet. We've all tried to say, I'm not going to do this anymore. Uh, we've tried with willpower to, to make changes in our lives. And the reality is, is that, that the changes that we make don't last very long. So I think, yeah, we can resist sin for a minute. But if we're going to overcome sin, that is impossible in the power. Um, um, or I'm sorry, impossible without the power of the Holy Spirit. Um, I've armed wrestled with sin and temptation a whole bunch. And every time sin and temptation wins. Um, when I'm full of the Holy Spirit, sin and temptation doesn't have a chance. So um, I love the way you asked the question. Um, I just think our track record demonstrates, Anonymous, that we're not very committed to resisting temptation. Um, we, we are led into sin. Our flesh wins out. So while we can try with all of our strength to resist temptation... I just don't think we can do it for very long. And eventually we're going to give in. And typically um, uh, we fail. Uh, in the power of the Holy Spirit, 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13 says that uh, no temptation has seized us except that which is common to man. And God is faithful. It doesn't say I'm faithful or you're faithful. It says God is faithful. He will not let us be tempted beyond what we can bear. So in the power of the Holy Spirit, we never again need to give in to temptation. We will because we're weak and we will because we walk away from the Lord sometimes. Um, but in the power of the Holy Spirit, we sin because we choose to, not because we have to. Paul, writing to the church at Rome, he says, uh, sin shall no longer uh, have dominion over you. And another translation says, sin shall no longer be your master. Once we were controlled by sin, now we're slaves to righteousness. And, and the only way to do that is by the power of the Holy Spirit. Here's a question. We've got three minutes left in this half. Uh, Natalie says, what is the right way to be there for someone who suffered a terrible loss? Natalie, this is an area where I think we in the church just aren't very good. We're just not very good. Um, I think if you're there for someone who suffered a terrible loss, um, that's the right way. Just be there for them. Cry with them. Hug them. Hold them. Let them know that you're available. If they need help, um, they're in grief. If they need help with meals, if they need help with house cleaning, if they need help with anything, running errands. It's, it's an exceptionally busy time when we've suffered loss. Um, you're just there with them. You know, when Job's friends came for the first week, they were great comforters. They didn't say anything at all. And then they started thinking, I, I'm sure because they were uncomfortable, they started thinking that they had to do something to comfort their friend. And they started basically accusing him of bringing it on himself. Um, I, I think that's what we need to do when we're there. We have to mourn with those who mourn, rejoice with those who rejoice. And often, Natalie, we're doing that at the same time, you know, different situations in the church. I can't tell you how many times... We've had somebody who went to be with the Lord 
and and then the same day or the next day a, a, a new baby is born so great loss followed by great joy and somehow we've got to jug, juggle it all one thing that we don't need to do natalie is have trite little christianese sayings we don't have to be successful in comforting someone we've got to be comfortable enough when they're not able to be comforted and let them cry let them let them talk it through just be available to them be a good listener it's not a time for a theology lesson it's not a time uh, to, to have easy solutions uh, certainly it's not a time to say well just pray more or read the Bible more or serve more um, while those are all great things somebody who's mourning doesn't need to hear any of those things so we just hurt with them when one part of the body hurts we all hurt We've been blessed at Calvary Chapel San Antonio to have a bunch of those people who are really gifted at doing this very thing. So, Natalie, I hope uh, that answers your question. Hey, the phones have been quiet. We love your input, 340-9585 or toll-free 877-630-KSLR. We'll be back in two minutes. to the word to stand on for life we're taking your calls at 340-9585 or toll-free 877-630-KSLR now here's pastor ron arbaugh welcome back to the second half of our monday show 340-9585 please remember that every single one of you in this radio audience is more interesting than me so your calls make it a better bible show here is a good question from Javier. What is the biblical justification for Sunday school or children's church? Javier, the Bible doesn't justify everything that we do. When we do something in the church, we make sure it's not contrary to anything the Bible says. Now, let's talk about both those things. Uh, I was never raised in church. I, I've shared with this pro audience before. When I got saved, uh, I'd only been to church a couple times. My grandma would drag me there, and and uh, I hated it, didn't want to go. Uh, so I have no background. I don't know any of the old hymns. I mean, I've learned a couple of them uh, over the years. But I didn't know the old hymns. I didn't know what was the right thing to do, the wrong thing to do in church. It was just sort of a weird place to go. And And after I got saved, Sunday school still confuses me. I don't know why churches do Sunday school. Um, we use here at Calvary Chapel, uh, the time that we have meeting together is to teach the Bible. Now, I assume that Sunday school is a tradition where there would be a, a smaller group Bible study, and then they would all then go together afterwards to a worship service, and the worship service, who knows what it would be, preaching or entertaining or uh, stories, who knows what it is. Um, but, but you know, as the Lord led me to Calvary Chapel many, many years ago, I love the fact that every time we're here and every time we're in service, then we're here to do serious work. And the, the serious work is done in the Bible and, and the Bible and the Bible teaching, not preaching or, or not sermon topical studies, but teaching or preaching the Bible. Um, um it needs to be available to the largest possible audience in the church. And that's always going to be Sunday mornings. So we have three Sunday morning services, 8.30, 10.15, and 11.59. And everyone looks like the one before. And um, so I, I just, I don't, I don't understand, honestly, the concept of Sunday school. Um, now, having said that, let's talk about children's church. We get this question a lot. Because we try to encourage people when they come to our church to take their kids to children's church. Now, clearly, the Bible doesn't address the need for a children's church. You go to Acts chapter 2 and they all met together. But remember, the situation was much different then than it is now. And what we want, uh, the reason we want kids to go to children's church 
Javier, is so that they will be taught the Bible at their own level. Now, here at Calvary Chapel, we teach the Bible. We don't do little stories, and we're not making up things and, and giving them little pictures and, and things. We teach the Bible. Now, we teach it at their level, but from the very beginning. I mean, we've got Bible being read and and babies being prayed for in the nursery. When you get to the toddler room and then the, the older kids as they get up, they're all taught verse by verse, and they're taught according to their level. And we get that concept from Nehemiah. When Nehemiah in chapters 8 and 9 um, was was uh, in the middle of this big revival, I like to call it a revival, Ezra the scribe stood up on a platform high above the people, and he proclaimed the word. That's all. He just proclaimed the word. And the priests or the Levites were in the crowd giving the meaning to people so they could understand. And um, that's what we want to do. We want to teach people at a level they can understand. And children's church is much better. Now, Javier, when, when we have kids in the sanctuary, and we understand there are people that don't know us or they'll come for the first time or the second time, and um, they're unsure about what to do, so they'll keep their kids with them. But it's frustrating for the kid because the kid can't sit still. I mean, our our service lasts an hour and say 20 minutes, hour and 15, hour and 20 minutes on Sunday. Um, and, and, you know, if the whole time they're being told by their mom or by their dad, shh, be quiet, sit still. Um, it's frustrating for the kid. We don't want the kids to hate coming to church. Uh, we send those same kids to children's church and they're the ones who are the biggest evangelists for their parents. Can we come back next time? It's so much fun. They learn so much. Well, uh, there are parents that don't want to bring their kids. They, well, this is family time together. It's really not. The reason we come to church isn't family time. The reason we come to church is to learn the word, to learn about Jesus, to hear from the Spirit of God. And if we have children who are noisy or distracting or crying loudly, uh, it's not that we don't love them. Every kid that walks in these doors knows how much they're loved, but they're distracting people around them who need to hear the Bible taught. And if we've got them in children's church, they're hearing the Bible taught. Um, they're better equipped to deal with distractions. There's less people. And uh, the kids enjoy the experience. And remember, that's one thing we want kids to do is enjoy the experience here at church. So uh, there's nothing in the Bible that precludes that. So it's not, we're not told specifically how to set up a church. We're given guidelines. And the focus on the Word in Acts chapter 2, beginning in verse 42, the focus was always on the apostles' doctrine or the apostles' teaching. That's what we know uh, as our New Testament. That's why I always do New Testament Bible studies on Sunday um, as we go verse by verse through the book. Um, um, that's, that's the apostles' doctrine. And we want people equipped to deal with real life as it happens according to what the Word says in the New Testament. So I, I honestly, Javier, I don't understand Sunday school or the, the, the thinking behind it. Um, children's church, I think, is critical. And I can promise you, the kids that have been around Calvary Chapel of San Antonio for a long time, those kids uh, know their Bibles. Thank you very much. Let's go to Victor from San Antonio on line one. Victor, thank you for calling. You're on the air. Hello, Pastor Ron. Hi, Victor. To, uh, yes, yes, sir, Pastor Ron. I just wanted to compliment uh, the uh, Calvary Chapel churches. Uh, they're amazing about they, they're mainly concerned about teaching the Bible verse by verse, book by book, chapter by chapter, and that's amazing. Uh, as far as uh, most of the churches, uh, when I got saved, uh, uh, it, it was the uh, Baptist churches and uh, and they, uh, the uh, Sunday, uh, Sunday morning Sunday school uh, was mainly teaching them. Uh, it was mainly a different age group, but it would be teaching the different doctrines and why they, you know, why we believe, uh, you know, the, 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 you know, like the Bible's in, inspired by God and all that and mm -hmm. stuff like that. And then on Wednesday would be would be uh, a Bible study, 
and that would be usually on one of the books of the Bible, uh, along with prayer meeting, uh, and then and then the uh, after Sunday school on Sunday you'd have a regular topical message. Same thing on on uh, on uh, Sunday night, uh, usually a topical message. But um, I tell you, uh, I, when I came back to San Antonio after I got out of the military, I, I uh, was the Lord led me to a church and. Um, that's the first church that uh, where their Sunday school was uh, the the Bible verse by verse, chapter by chapter, book by book. Good for them. And uh, it was taught. It was taught in all the all the age levels, and uh, that was and, and that was the first. I learned a lot. I learned a lot from that. So I, I view. I do see the importance of teaching the Bible as opposed to doctrines and beliefs. Even those are important, but. There's so much more you can learn and a better grasp, understanding if you learn it just verse by verse, chapter by chapter, and book by book. So I just wanted to compliment that Calvary Chapel churches are amazing, and um, uh, I would I wouldn't hesitate to recommend it to to anyone. Thank you, Victor. Thank you, Victor. I appreciate it very very much. You know, one of the distinctives about a Calvary Chapel is this this emphasis on the on the primacy of the Word and teaching it book by book, chapter by chapter, verse by verse. And, uh, you know, if you hang around um, Calvary Chapel, any Calvary Chapel for any length of time, you're going to get through the Bible. Uh, I've got people that have been with me for 25 years. We've been through the Bible a whole bunch of times in those 25 years. And as a pastor, you know, everybody then is without excuse. And because they're without excuse, I can say, uh, you know, the day the day I have to retire, the day I have to resign, whenever that comes. I hope not for a long time. But but I'll be able to stand before my church and say, like the Apostle Paul did to the Ephesian elders, uh, your blood is not on my hands, for I have not failed to proclaim to you the whole counsel of God. And I just think that's the way it's supposed to be. Now, too, um, a, a, a good thing is that a lot more churches now are teaching the Bible verse by verse. And honestly, Victor, if I had to decide, if I had to come up with a topic every Sunday, I would be so brain dead. I mean, I wouldn't, I wouldn't, I, I'm not that creative. So I don't have to worry. I finished uh, yesterday in Acts chapter 8, verse 25. Uh, and, and I know that when we come in this Sunday, I'm going to start in Acts chapter 8, verse 26. And I don't have to come up with a cute idea. I don't have to come up with clever illustrations. All I have to do is go through the Bible verse by verse and teach it. And believe me, that's all we do here. Whether it's New Testament on Fridays and Sundays or Old Testament on Wednesdays, it's always the same. And I appreciate it very, very much. Let's go to Reuben, our friend on line one. Reuben, thank you for holding. You're on the air. God bless you, Pastor Ron. I pray that you're doing well today. I am Reuben. Thank you. Can you hear me? Yes, I can hear you fine. Okay, great. Um, I have just two questions, and actually, one's a question, and one is your opinion. I really, or not opinion. I need your counsel. Okay. Like, really, really bad. Um, <clears throat> I believe I've told you about my family on how there's a huge rift between me and my brothers and sisters, mm-hmm. and um, how I've been trying to to you know reconcile as much as I possibly can and and I've asked them to forgive me and they don't want to they just they don't want to and every time that I try to talk to them and try to you know uh, uh, the my therapist that I used to see um, would tell me you know you need to talk to them and get you need to talk to them and get it out in the open and I'm like I can't because every time I talk to them they'll always just flip it over back on me. And they say that it wasn't them that did it, that it was, it's, I, it's in my mind that I, they don't hate me and they don't, you know, and I'm, I'm trying to tell, well, if y'all don't hate me, then why is it that I'm never invited over to Christmas or Thanksgivings? And you know, when mom passed away a year ago, I was prohibited from seeing her. So she goes, well, that's that's between you and Amy, and it's a long story. So, um, so this past weekend, my sister calls, and another issue I have with them is that they don't come and see my father. None of them. They won't call him. They won't see him, and it hurts him. 
So my sister calls on Saturday, and, she, and I'm trying to hurry up. Um, uh, my sister calls and tells me, look, uh, I got some bad news. I've been diagnosed with stage 3 breast cancer, and, I, and of course, I felt bad. And then I said, well, she goes, I want to know. Actually, she says, can you give me permission to talk to my dad? And I'm just like, Mary, you don't need my permission to talk to my d- d- dad. I mean, and see, because that's what they did. They made me ask for permission to talk to my mom. Mm-hmm. So I'm trying to hurry up. And I, and I said, yeah, you need to tell him. I said, but look, do the human, the human thing. I said, tell him in person. Don't tell him over the phone. Or text. And she says, I can't do that. <laughs> or, yeah, exactly. Or, or over text. And she goes, I can't do that because he doesn't say nothing to me. So I just want to tell him over the phone. And, and then here we go. We just started going again. And then um, I asked her again. I said, look, can y'all please just forgive me for whatever I did? And it just went around and around and around and around and around. And then she just started throwing stones, like, I mean, and bringing up other stuff. And I'm just like, man, she must have had this in her arsenal waiting to throw at me. Okay, so with that being said, I've, I believe that I have done more than my part. And I've been asking God, Lord, if there's still more, if I have any hidden hatred or hidden bitterness, show me. Okay, so my question is in regards to that, and I have another question. Um uh, what, what should I do, Pastor? I mean, I I feel like I've done everything I possibly can, mm-hmm. and I don't want to harbor anything towards them. Uh, Ruben, let me, let me start with this one, then you can you can just stay on the phone and ask me the, the other question that you have. Um, you know, uh, one of the reasons I hate therapy, <laughs> I just hate psychology, I hate therapy, and all this stuff about boundaries and um, the, the Bible makes it very clear. We're, we're supposed to be agents of reconciliation. We're to do everything that we can. You've done that. So don't listen to the enemy say, well, there's more you can do. You know what you've done. Uh, Paul, in writing to the church at Rome in chapter 12, he says uh, in verse 17 and 18, he says, do not repay anyone evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everybody. You've done that as best you're able. And then the next verse says this, If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. So you've done as much as you can do. And and, and the only thing left for you to do is to say to your family members, I love you. I'm praying for you. If you ever want to Work things out. Face to face, I'm here. And then leave it alone. There are some situations and some people we simply can't fix. So you can stand before the Lord, Reuben, and say, God, as far as it depends on me, I've done everything I can to reconcile. You know that you're not holding any bitterness. You know that you've offered forgiveness. You know that you've reached out to them time and time again. Well, just deal with the fact that it's not possible. As much as we'd like to have a family get along, it's just not possible to live at peace with everyone. Just make sure that the lack of peace comes from their side and not from yours. And then leave it in the Lord's hands. And of course, I know you're praying for your family. Does that make sense, Ruben? Total sense, yes. I thank you so much for that. And the question I just had, does Calvary Chapel accept, or I mean, do y'all believe in tithe and offerings? And then what is the difference between a tithe and an offering? Okay, good question. Yes, we accept money from anybody. <laughs> let me let me just put that out there right at the beginning. You know, er, everything we do, we do for free, and it costs a lot of money. So, so yes, we do. The difference, what we do is, is we don't tell anybody what our needs are. And we don't ask for money. We, we don't let people know what our needs are. We don't pass an offering um, or anything like that. We want people to give according to the spirit that the Apostle Paul gave in Second Corinthians um, to, to give from a cheerful heart, to give generously and hilariously, but giving from a cheerful heart, a, a grateful heart to the Lord. And then we'll tell them in our offering announcements that take about 30 seconds. That's all it takes. Um, we have offering boxes in the back and in the sanctuary. Uh, we can accept your offerings. 
um, your free will offerings uh, online as well, and, and we'd be honored to receive them. But that's all we talk about. We leave the rest of that between the man uh, or the woman and the Lord. Now, the difference between offerings and tithes is that um, tithing is simply not a New Testament principle. Now, I know people will say, but tithing was before the law with Abraham. He gave a tenth to uh, Melchizedek, uh, and so it's a principle, and we're to extend it into the New Testament. But the New Testament says completely the opposite, that the written code, the law, was canceled. It was nailed to the cross. And so the the law that was given to Jews has no impact on us at all. So, no, we don't tithe. Tithing, the word means a tenth. Um, It's it's a very popular thing, and, and way more churches teach it than don't teach it. I think they do so because of a lack of faith. They don't want to have to trust the Lord. So they just try to obligate people to to give a tenth of their 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 gross income. Um, but that's to misunderstand um, what we really owe the Lord. If the law requires ten percent, how much more should grace be willing to give? Honestly, mm-hmm. grace that wipes away our sins, mm-hmm. grace that forgives us. So what we do is we teach what the Bible teaches in the New Testament. That everything that we have belongs to God. Our time, our talent, and our treasure, everything that we have belongs to God. You know, you and I have talked about this, Ruben, uh, over the years. You've been gifted with with the the gift to make music. I'm jealous. But, but, uh, you know, that talent was given to you by God. And, and since God gave it to you, you owe it to God to use it for his glory. God, what do you want to do with this gift? It's all yours. Well, money is exactly the same way. And the problem we have with money is we try to figure out the cheapest possible way to be faithful in giving to God. And the way we do it, if, and I like putting it this way because it makes it clear how nonsensical it is. We like to say, okay, God, here's a dollar, 10 cents for you, 90 cents for me. And that's that's not grateful giving. What we should do is say, Lord, it's all yours. How much of your money do you want me to keep and how much of it do you want me to give? And then you just be obedient. Now, here's the, the one of the reasons people don't give it is they're afraid to do that because, well, what if God wants it all? God's not going to take all the money. He's going to make sure that you have enough to live on. But there's so much more freedom in simply saying, Lord, what about me and what about today? And if you'll pray, the Lord will answer your question. He'll put a, a number on your heart. A husband and a wife can agree to that uh, together. And they can give generously. I had a, a, a married couple come to me, and, and they're, they're talking about um, um, donating something to, that the church can use as, as a, a ministry. And, and it's, it's huge, a huge thing. For them, it's a huge thing, and it doesn't really make any sense. But see, they're asking, God, this is your stuff. We're able to have this because you've blessed us. And so we want to make sure that, that it all comes back to you, that it all belongs to you. And when they think about it that way, then the only thing that makes sense is to be obedient to the Lord because God has been so faithful. So tithing, Reuben, is not for New Testament Christians. We give generously. Proverbs eleven twenty five says, A generous man himself will be blessed by God. And the way we express that generosity is to say, Jesus, everything I have is yours. Again, for all of you who, who that would terrify out there, God will let you keep most of it. But it's very important that we understand that it belongs to him. Our bodies are not our own. Our resources are not our own. And all of it, all of it is to be committed to the Lord for his glory. And that's when giving becomes an act of of joy. And that's really important. Thank you, Reuben. Good to hear from you. And I'll be praying for you and your family. Let's see if I have time for one more question before we go off the air. Yes, here's one from Julian. Uh, he says, was God really going to kill Moses in Exodus chapter 4? And if so, why? Julian, he really was going to kill Moses. That's what it says. Um, and the reason he was going to kill Moses is because Moses, called by God, remember the principle Jesus indicated, too much is given, much more is required. 
And so Moses was given great responsibility, and with great responsibility comes greater accountability. And uh, he had not obeyed the Lord and had his children circumcised. He and his wife were not in agreement, so he just sort of let it slide. In other words, he was abandoning the position of leadership in his family. God was about to send him on a mission of leadership for God's family of Jews. And, and, you know, if a man can't control his own family or manage his own family, then what business does he have trying to manage the, the people of God? Uh, Moses was just letting it slide. And so when Jesus encountered them on that road, uh, yes, he was going to kill him. His wife saw it and she took the knife and, and, and performed the circumcision uh, and that delayed God's judgment or forestalled God's judgment on Moses. But the lesson there, Julian, is accountability. Moses was really accountable, and he simply wasn't being obedient. Good question. Thank you very, very much. That's a passage of Scripture that that, that causes people a lot of consternation. Um, God obviously knew that, that his wife was going to be moved. But, yeah, he was ready to kill him. And... Uh, lesson on obedience matters. Hey, thank you for tuning in today. Remember, tonight here at Calvary Chapel of San Antonio, we have our men's, women's, and youth Bible studies at 7. Ladies, you can watch online, live streaming at calvarysa.com. May the Lord bless you and keep you. My name is Pastor Ron Arbaugh from Calvary Chapel in San Antonio, Texas. It truly is an honor to be with you every day at 4 o'clock on AM 630. Word, Lord winning. I'll be back here tomorrow at that time. We'll see you then. Bye-bye. Thanks for spending this time with Calvary Chapel's The Word to Stand On for Life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. The Word to Stand On for Life is on every weekday afternoon at 4, and Pastor Ron invites you to find out more about Calvary Chapel at calvarysa.com. The Word to Stand On for Life was sponsored by Calvary Chapel of San Antonio. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.